Fans of the Dynasty Invest podcast, if you feel like there was one particular episode in the back catalogue in the anthology of Dynasty Invest podcast episodes that really, really, really was massively valuable to you, feel free to share that with a fellow dental colleague who's in a similar position so their understanding of finance can be elevated and they can hit the next level of financial success in their life. Also, as well as that, if you could take two seconds to rate and review this podcast, it would mean the world to me. What that would mean is that it drives this podcast further in terms of reach so that more dentists across the world can be able to benefit from the knowledge contained therein. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Dentists Who Invest podcast. What's up, everyone? Hope you're having an amazing day wherever in the world that you are. Welcome back to the Dentistry Invest podcast. And today is an episode that I've been meaning to do for flipping ages, lices versus pensions. Because the thing about lices is they don't quite fit the mold of the rest of vices. And actually, well, I don't want to give too many spoilers away, but they're more akin to pension vehicles, or at least they can be used in that instance. And to help me and assist me on this podcast today, I've got my good friend, Mr. John Doyle. John, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, mate. Yeah, how are you doing? I am wonderful. Things are really, really, really popping these days. Got a ton of stuff that I'm creating for Dentistry Invest on the back end. I'm super, super excited for 2023. How about you? What's going on in John's world these days? I uh, think things again really excited. 2023 is going to be a big year for Juniper. Um, we're we're in a growth phase of the business, training up new advisors, taking on new clients. Uh, yeah, it's exciting things happening. Exciting things happening. You know, honestly, when you get bitten by the business bug, it's it feels flipping good, you know. And when you can create something, especially when you can create something that uplifts everybody else, you're scaling that mountain and you're lifting as you climb. It's you climb. It's flipping special. It's not for everyone, but I mean, for me, I find it harder to not think about it than think about it than to not think about dentistry invest than to think yeah. about dentistry invest. And I think that just means you find your happy place is all, John. What do you reckon? Yeah, my wife's got used to it now. There used to be a time when she'd be like, can you just stop talking about it or stop, switch off for a minute? And it's not like, you know, stressing at night or any of that kind of stuff anymore. But it's more just um, when your mind goes quiet and you get still, it starts to run with ideas. And that's the bit that I find exciting. Like when I'm on holiday, like day one, day two, chill. Day three, I'm like thinking, right, where are we taking this? Where are we taking this? What's going on? And it's because my, yeah, it just excites me. It fulfills me. It, uh, yeah, it's good. Well, this is it. You can almost spot the entrepreneurial people out from a crowd because they just get so, whenever an idea pops into their head, business or not, they get so excited. And that is one of the hallmarks for me. So I flip and hear you on that one. John, we should probably pull things back to investing. In classic podcast form, sometimes we wind up talking for 20 minutes about something else entirely. So uh, I'll, I'll be strict and swift with that one today. For myself, mainly, because I'm, I'm the main culprit. But anyway, back to what we're supposed to be talking about, lices versus pensions. Before we talk about lices, it might be nice for people out there just to have an overview of ISAs, because a LISA is, of course, a type of ISA. And what? who better to ask than yourself on that one? Okay, yeah. So um, an ISA is just a savings vehicle. Uh, it's something we can put cash or investments like stocks and shares into. And the ISA is a, a tax wrapper that the government provides us for legal tax mitigation. Uh, and it enables us to invest in a tax efficient manner. So there will be no tax on any income. 
or um, no tax on any capital gains that we might make from the investments that we have in there. There's obviously a, a limit to how much we can put into ISAs each year. Currently, that stands at 20,000, subject to change. Uh, but that's that's the way ISAs go, isn't it? Go everything, you know, budget day is a, a nightmare for financial advisors. What's changing? What's changing? <laughs> it just means that ISA is a great vehicle for putting money away into, we can grow and invest uh, tax efficiently and hopefully make a, a lot of money over the long term. That's the idea. Cool. So specifically within that, there's different types of ISAs and we could jump straight into ISAs. Here's the thing. I've always found it's nice to have like a stick in the mud, basically, to compare. Are you with me? Yeah. yeah. So we've got stocks and shares ISA, got cash ISA, et cetera. Maybe we could just elaborate a little bit more on those for people who are. Okay. For the first time. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the probably the most familiar to most people is the cash ISA. It's what you'll be able to open up with most banks and building societies. Um, it's, it is what it says on tin. It's a, an ISA that holds cash usually um, either on a fixed term basis. So you'll put it in for one year, two years, three years, and they'll give you a set interest rate. Or you can get instant access ISAs as well uh, that will just provide an interest rate. And all it does is hold cash like a bank account, but you pay no tax on the interest. Very nice. How are interest rates doing? The, how have obviously the Bank of England put their interest rates up today? How is that filtering through the cash ISAs actually, just as a little bit of a tangent? Yeah, we're starting to see them come up a bit, a little bit over time. I said to someone recently that cash is having like a Sandra Bullock moment. <laughs> uh, you know, like um, Miss Congeniality, the film where like Sandra Bullock's this mess of a CIA agent, CIA agent. That's hard to say. Um, and then halfway through the film, they suddenly put makeup on her, take off her glasses, put her hair down, and she's hot. And everyone's like, oh, my goodness, Sandra Bullock was hot. We never knew. And that's kind of what's happening with cash at the moment. We're getting a lot more inquiries from clients. People have forgotten about it for the last 10 years. But, um, yeah, we are seeing cash rates go up. We we have cash management that we we offer for clients. So we're starting to see better rates, you know, maybe 2%, 2.5% on, on instant access maybe even to touch more than that some places. Um, so they're, they're starting to follow through. It's still not as exciting as investing long-term, but it does have that safety element to it. Cool. Awesome. Cash ISAs being the classic, then stocks and shares ISA, ISAs yeah, as well, right? ISA is a, um, an ISA wrapper where you can go and invest in you know, either individual stocks and shares into certain investment funds, ETF, index funds, whatever floats you boat investment-wise. There are certain rules, but most um, investment funds that you would be able to go out and buy would be available through a stocks and shares ISA. Um, yeah, and again, 20,000 can go into them exactly the same. And you can move money between cash and stocks and shares ISAs depending on how you're feeling about investment risk. Well, this is the key thing about ISAs, apart from the black sheep of the family, which is the LISA in a way, in a way right? Which is yeah. that you could put the money in and it's freely accessible at any point, apart from LISAs and, of course, fixed-term cash ISAs, as you said. And I'd say that one of the coolest things about ISAs now is most of the ISAs, certainly the ones we use at Juniper, are called flexible ISAs. And what a flexible ISA means is, you know, you've got only, you can only put 20000 a year in, but... If you need to take a lump sum out, you can put all of that money back in within the same tax year. 
So I've had situations before where a client of mine was um, buying a new house. They hadn't quite completed on their old house. So we withdrew money from their ISA. We've been doing this with them disciplined way for a long time. Withdrew money from their ISA, bought the house, the new house. And then when the old house sold, they put all that money back into their ISA. Several hundred thousand pounds. They used no their way. ISA. I didn't know that. Yeah. And then another one, a, a client, a local dentist to me was doing a, an extension. They were putting a new wraparound extension on, one new surgery, new reception, and it looks really sweet. Um, and they were just a bit short on the funding. Lloyd's were messing around. It was kind of during that 2021. Are dentists still good? Are they safe? Are they not? Um, and so again, we used their ISA to get the building work started. They withdrew all the money in sort of April, May time, managed to get the stuff, uh, get the um, extension sorted. Lloyd's then sorted all the mortgages out once it was done. And we repaid the money back into their ISA before the end of March. Um, the following year i did not know that was possible that's actually super interesting so is that that's only on specific provide that's only on stocks and shares ISAs with specific providers right or every provider yeah yeah ah. a lot of it will come down to and it's this is where you get into the the real weeds of how the how providers work a lot of it's down to their computer systems so the legislation says that ISAs can be flexible now but if their computer system doesn't allow, you know, they've hard coded the one way allowance calculation, then it's a whole big problem for them in developing their systems to allow flexible ISAs. But certainly, you know, and there are DIY providers who will offer flexible ISAs as well as advised platforms that will do flexible ISAs now. And it can be a really powerful tool. That is a flipping pearl right there. I did not know that. I mean, Let's set aside the software things. I didn't even know that legally that was something that you could do, yeah. but there we are. Interesting stuff. Flexible mate. <laughs> <laughs> Every day is a school day. <laughs> well, you know, that is cool as hell. Anyway, yeah. onwards to Lysas because they differ a little bit from the ISA yeah. mentioned previously. And unequivocally, they're, they're not flexible or at least not without a penalty, right? Yeah, so... Um... The LISA, I like to think of it as like a hybrid between a pension and an ISA. It's kind of their um, love child. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> but not necessarily a good way. It's got all the negatives of both, potentially, right? Uh, but a lifetime ISA, it's a type of ISA where you, you have a much smaller limit and it forms part of your ISA allowance, right? So you can put £4,000 a year into your lifetime ISA. You can only open it before your 40th birthday. You, you can only contribute to it until you're 50. However, the upside is you get a 25% bonus from the government for every pound that you're putting in, okay, up to £1,000. So you put your £4,000 in, it suddenly becomes £5,000. Happy days. The catch. There's always a catch. Isn't there? <laughs> you never get anything free in life. There's always a catch. The catch is that this money is then locked within this ISA, except for very, very specific purposes. Buying your first home. Okay. That means that the people buying the house, right, are both first time buyers. 
never bought a property before. This has caught a few people out when maybe they're getting together with someone who is has already owned a home. Maybe it's a second marriage or something, or um, you know their partner's previously owned a home, but they're a first time buyer. It's caught some people out. So it's buying a first home or aged 60 or over. That's where like the pension element comes into it is that it's designed, you know, locked up then till you're 60. Or if you're terminally ill with less than 12 months to live, and that will be a, a doctor has, has sort of given you that diagnosis. Um, so we get the upside of the tax relief, but it comes with a, a set of, of restrictive handcuffs. Um, other than that, it, it does. It works in very similar ways to a normal ISA. You can invest in exactly the same things, often on exactly the same platforms, and it can sit side by side with your your other ISAs. Yeah. Cool. And I'm right in saying there's actually a distinction within ISAs in that there's a cash ISA and a stocks and shares ISA, right? I believe so. Yeah, we don't tend to um, get too involved with the cash side of things. Uh, yeah, I, there probably are cash licenses out there. Um, we as advisors tend to focus more on the, the investment lifetime ISA because it's locked up and you have to be 40 or under when you're taking them out. These are a minimum 20 year investment because, you know, it, apart from maybe if you're imminently buying your first home, but we found that most people taking them out are, are already already homeowners. There's a small sort of uh, marketplace that these seem to work reasonably well with. So most people, it's a 20 plus year investment, in which case we don't really want to be sitting around in cash for that, that length of time uh, with something that's locked up. So we, we tend to focus more on the investment side than the cash ISA or cash LISA side, yeah. Here's the thing. Here's what I often get questions about. People will say, hey, I want to open up a stocks and shares LISA and I want to invest the money so I have more to buy my house. Oh, and by the way, I'm buying my house in six months time. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. For the cash rewards, I get it. Yeah. Is that something that you come across? Because where I'm, what I'm getting at is generally timeframes over which we invest our money are much longer than six months. Yeah. Yeah. To never guarantee we need to be careful with that word, but to increase the odds of success as much as yeah. possible. Yeah. Right. So um, the, the average age of a Juniper client is 51. Uh, the average age of financial advisor clients, when I talk to other practice owners, is in their 60s. Okay. So the kind of when we're thinking, you know, dentists looking to buy their their first property probably late 20s early 30s depending on how life's gone some of them some later generally speaking we're not talking to lots and lots of those clients so those those sort of first time buyers we've got some children of clients who who will uh, do this i've got one in fact text me this week need to get hold of some money from i think because he's buying his first house fantastic very happy for him um but, you know, if you are there in that situation where you're going, I'm looking to buy in the next six, 12 months, even two years, we would always look at cash as being the way to go, especially if you're on that very fixed pathway to buying. You know, it's a very deliberate plan to be buying in that time period because you just don't know what the market is going to do in, in six to 12 months. And anyone who put money into investments over the last 12 months to go and buy has probably ended up with less than they invested 
depending on the investments they were in, which is why cash is king when it comes to short term. Hell yeah. And another thing we should mention as well, I believe that that house has to be under 450K. Maybe you mentioned that? Uh, ooh, that's a, a good question. Yeah. Yes, it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it does have to be under 450K. Yeah, correct. Massive, right? So here's the thing on that two-year time frame, when we're very helpful to get advice, I would say, uh, and I, I would unequivocally say that, if we want to put that cash within the license of some work. Yeah, I'm just also looking here. Um, you've got to buy the property at least 12 months after you make your first lifetime ISA contribution. Also good to know. Good to yeah, know. yeah. So it's not it's not something you want to get caught out on. Um, you know, you can you can break your money out of a lifetime ISA, but it comes at a cost, which I'm sure we'll come on to to later. But uh, yeah. Yeah, well, it's 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 twenty five percent off the balance, I believe, and it's designed to is is the cost at reclaiming it. Yeah, so the way it works is, if you needed to break your money out of the lifetime ISA, you get hit with a twenty five percent withdrawal penalty. Now, on the face of it, that can sound very much like you're just paying back your initial bonus of twenty five percent. But let's just look at some numbers. So you've put £4,000 in, you've got your 25% bonus, we've now got £5,000 in our lifetime ISA. Sat in cash, and we immediately realise we've made a mistake and we want to get this money out. So we've not made any interest. We pay a 25% withdrawal penalty, which is £1,250. And we end up with £3,750 less than we put in so breaking out of these does come at quite a cost it's possible but it's not something we want to ever have to do and it's why we need to think really carefully about what the purpose of using a lifetime ISA is versus other uh, savings vehicles for the for what we're trying to achieve here and that's where this buying that first home has caught a number of people. I've seen a number of things in the press about this of, you know, uh, person one, uh, new couple comes together through lockdown or whatever, and they're falling in love. They're very happy. They want to buy a house together. They buy a house together. They find out that one of them has owned a house previously and they therefore they are not first-time buyers and the lifetime ISA can no longer be used or they have to pay the penalty. Real quick, guys, I've put together a special report for dentists entitled The Seven Costly and Potentially Disastrous Mistakes That Dentists Make Whenever It Comes to Their Finances. Most of the time, dentists are going through these issues and they don't even necessarily realize that they're happening until they have their eyes opened. And that is the purpose of this report. You can go ahead and receive your free report by heading on over to www.dentistuinvest.com forward slash podcast report. Or alternatively, you can download it using the link in the description. This report details these seven most common issues. However, most importantly, it also shows you how to fix them. I'm really looking forward to hearing your thoughts.
Good to know the T's and C's because it's super important, right? And here's why, specifically why I want to do a podcast on lices because people reach out to me and they're like, oh yeah, 25% on top of the money that you contribute. How how can any investment beat that? And the answer is that over a short time frame, no, it can't. 25% is a huge, is a huge reimbursement, mm-hmm. is a huge mm-hmm. return. Are you with me? But here's the thing. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, you know, it's like running into that. You don't you don't realize that when you put that money through the letterbox of the house, you haven't actually got the key to the house, okay, <laughs> until you're 57. And it can be doing whatever the heck it likes in there, right? Yeah. We have to think about the next step, right? And I feel exactly, this is exactly why I wanted to do this podcast, is because I feel like that dangling carrot is too much for people to resist almost in the short term. And we have to think about the short term and the next step to actually get this money back, which is just what you've neatly described. Yeah, perfect. Lovely stuff. And <laughs> I think we said everything that we got <laughs> license, right? Yeah, we got them. Anything more you'd like to add? I don't think there's much more. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll probably come into why we might want to use them and the things we want to use them for in a bit. Sure. Um, because they can fit neatly into a financial plan. They can can uh, fulfill a purpose. Um but for, for me personally, unless we're already on that path to buying a property and we know who we're buying the property with, it, it's not something that I have property purchase in mind for when, when we're looking at, at lifetime ISAs. Cool. Good to know. Onwards to pensions. Mm. So I heard a really nice description of a pension the other day, and it's an investment account with T's and C's, a bit like an ISA, a bit like a LISA. But yeah. <laughs> and this is why they're often compared, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because um, essentially what we're trying to do with the pension is provide for our long-term future. So again, it's, it's an investment with T's and C's, an investment with some handcuffs. Um, we get the tax relief, whether that's corporation tax relief by paying for it through our company, whether it's personal tax relief by making uh, personal contributions. It grows tax-free in the same way, uh, you know, the the ISAs and the tax-efficiently, in the same way the ISAs and the pension and the lifetime ISAs do, but we can't access it until we're at a certain point in time. Um, You know, most people have 55 in their mind. It's, It's 10 years before state retirement age. So depending on who you are, that could be 55, it could be 57, it could be 58. And as the state pension inevitably moves higher, it's, it will follow it 10 years before. Cool. Um, and so we're very much looking at these as vehicles to fund our exit from working life uh, in later life, I guess. Yeah, 100%. So yeah, with regards to pensions, there's a few other things that make pensions lucrative, right? Like succession, et cetera, and things along those lines. Be helpful to go into those. And then what we'll do is we'll do a comparison. That'll be highly yeah. valuable. Yeah, sure. So it's very likely that there, there's two types of pensions that listeners will have. And a lot of dentists still have NHS pension. And then if they've been fully private or they do some private work, they will potentially also have a personal pension or SIP or other type of individual pension. So the NHS pension is uh, what we call a defined benefit. It's a promise of an income. 
You've got some great podcasts already on it. So if people want the nuts and bolts of that, go find them. (laughs) 100%. Episode 14 with myself and Luke Hurley, and also a really cool one that I did somewhat recently with Ian Hawk, and we've done the NHS podcast to death. Those are gold mines. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So very simply, promise of an income. It's not a pot of money. And at a certain point, depending on the scheme, you will start getting that income coming in. Your partner will get half of that usually when when you uh, if you predecease them and then on your death it expires with a with a sip or a personal pension what you have is a lump of money uh, that at some point you will just put a tap on and you'll start drawing money from it um, depending on your circumstances that can be a monthly income or it could be lumps you do get your 25% tax-free, before anyone thinks that we're forgetting about it. This isn't necessarily going into the technical details of, of pensions, but one of the advantages that a personal pension or SIP will have is on your death, that money is completely inherited by your beneficiaries. Depending on the time of your death, before or after age 75, it either passes tax-free so if you die before 75, or if you're over 75, it is um, inherited as a pension scheme by the beneficiary. So they get to draw it at their marginal rate of tax. What it never does is or very rarely will it form part of your estate. There's a couple of things, loopholes that you need to watch out for if you're meddling with pensions later. But most of the time, it doesn't form part of your taxable estate and therefore bypasses inheritance tax. So it can be a very interesting um, and useful tool for passing wealth on as well as providing for your own personal financial future. Good to know. Two quick things to add value to this podcast, which are relevant to what we're talking about. First of all, a way that I heard ISIS compared to pensions very neatly was that with ISIS, you get taxed on the way in, you don't get taxed on the way out. Pensions, you don't get taxed on the way in, but you do get taxed on the way out. So what does that mean? So let's talk about your ISIS. So first of all, that money has to be in your personal name for you to invest that, right? It can't be in a company. It can't be in a Yeah, company. Yeah, it has to be personal money. You either have to pay dividend tax or income tax to get it in your personal name, and then you pop that money into the pension. That's right. Whereas the beautiful thing about a pension is you can take 40K from your business, just stick it straight in there, right? Yeah. And in fact, you can use, you can carry forward unused allowance as well. So you can sometimes in some circumstances go beyond even the 40K. Yes, that's right. Because I think it's three years in the in the past if you haven't maxed out your contributions, but the account's been open, something along those lines. Yeah. As long as you've got a pension lying around somewhere, then you can uh, put this in. Uh, you can use those allowances. So, for example, if you had a, a dentist who did three years NHS, they got an NHS pension, but a decade ago they've been working private ever since, never bothered with a pension. They could they could put one hundred and sixty k into into a pension in some circumstances. Molly, Molly, good to know. Good to know. Yeah. yeah. Second thing I was going to say just then second thing i was going to say to what we talked about earlier the here is the most succinct and neatly i've ever heard someone describe the pros and cons or compare the pros and cons between different investment vehicles or different tax wrappers okay basically you can distill 
everything down to pretty much two questions and then go from there, right? And this is really neat, right? Mm. First thing is accessibility. When can you get your money? If, yeah. that's, if that's so important to you that you need to have access to your money in three, four years, then actually that trumps everything if you think about it. So we can almost put the other advantages to one side and then we let that govern our choice, right? Yeah. Second thing to consider, now, by the way, these are not, this is not a definitive list, by the way. There's obviously more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These are the main, these are the main two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Number one, accessibility. So like I say, if not being able to touch your money until your state pension is, or 10 years before state pension is, or whatever, is a non-negotiable for you, then actually, should we be thinking about a pension or a LISA? Maybe not, right? Second thing, tax, tax advantages, yeah. right? And if you purely straight up just want to save a ton of money on income tax, then you're more likely going to lead, lean towards a pension. I thought that was really neat. That's your decision tree right there. So there's like three things that I, I often talk about that, any financial planning process should should give to people or bear in mind, right? One is the truth of our current financial situation. How grim is it or how good is it? Second is the hope that in the end, with whatever planning we're going to do, we're going to be all right. But the third one and the most important one is choice. We've got to make sure that in our planning, we build choice into it. And that's where this thing with lifetime ISAs, pensions, ISAs comes in because what are each of these do? Well, they either open up choices to us or they restrict choices when it comes to the unknown future that we're living in. What my experience tells me is that most people are pretty bad at knowing what's going to happen in 10 or 15 years in their lives, let alone the 30 years before, you know, you and I end up anywhere near sort of state pension age. I'll be a bit bit there a bit sooner than you. But, uh, you know, when we're talking about these long sweeps of time, it's very, very hard. There's so many potential futures that we could be living in. Um, and in the meantime, all these decisions we make now either keep choice on the table or have choice off the table for us. And that's the, the time and the uh, tax there. You know, time is so important. We need to know when we're going to be accessing this money or that we've got choices and options when it inevitably hits the fan. Beautifully described. I love that. Let's pull things back. We went on a tangent there, but it's okay because there was a ton of value. <laughs> that was very useful. Yeah, so, yeah. And I love that. I love freestyling. By the way, all these podcasts are ad lib. We barely plan anything before we come on. Let's pull things back to licenses versus pensions. In your experience, yeah. what planning considerations should people think about before they make that choice? Yeah, so the, the first one really, and I'm going to be a bit naughty here. You've told me not to do this, but I'm going to pull ISIS just into this conversation a little bit, okay? That's cool. Because the thing that we need to think through is when do we want this money? And what choices are we giving up or keeping on the table when we're putting money into these savings vehicles? Because each of them can have the same investments in them, right? We wouldn't do this, but let's say you just want an S&P 500 index fund, right? It's nice and you can have the same thing in all of them. So they'll do the same thing over time, right? Now, with a pension, the agreement that you're making with your future self 
is very, very clear. I'm putting this money into a pension. At some point in my future, I will draw this money down and I will get full tax relief, not just the 25% uplift, but full tax relief on this contribution. For most dentists, that's going to be somewhere 40 to 45%. Could even be more of than that nasty tax track around 100 grand. Or if they're a business owner from April, it is a 25% corporation tax, depending on their profit levels, right? So it becomes it's a very attractive tax relief. And we're making this contract with our future sales that this money is for my retirement. It's a very clear contract with your older self. With a lifetime ISA, one, we've got to get that money into our personal name. So that's a consideration that you're going to have to make. And then it's this question of what is the contract that I'm making with my future self? And I think there's so many, there's quite a few unknowns around that that make that quite difficult. Is this money that we're going to access earlier? Is this money that I'm going to um, you know, leave for my retirement? There's too many unknowns there for me that make it a little bit more fuzzy as to the agreement we're making with ourselves. And with an ISA, it's I probably will need this money at some point in the you know middle to long term. Often, you know, school fees or with a lot of dentists, I have this phrase of minding the gap. Okay, so most dentists I speak to have, a, have an age of 60 in their mind for retirement comes from nowhere else other than an anchoring effect with the 95 pension scheme, right? Yeah, it's cultural, right? It's yeah. literally cultural, yeah. Retirement at 60 because every dentist who came before me retired at 60. From, for anyone, um, you know, in the 2015 scheme or, um, you know, in private pensions, this isn't the case anymore. You don't have this age, but we still have this desire of retiring before state pension age. And so we've got this gap between when we want to retire and when all our NHS pension income comes in or our state pension. And so, you know, we might be that we're looking to fund the gap there between 60 and 68. Might be that we're trying to fund other things. So it's really important when you're going through these decisions to work out what is the purpose I'm trying to achieve with this? And then Am I using a pension, a lifetime ISA, or an ISA to to fill that need? Yeah, so it's a it's a cash flow financial planning thing, right? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, man, one hundred percent. That's cool. That's cool. Anything else? Oh, here's actually something interesting, right? So the profile of a person, and we can speak broadly here without yeah. being too specific. The profile of a person who picks a LISA versus a private pension. Is yeah. there any common denominators or common factors? That yeah. You yeah. So where we tend to use them is where we've, we've got either annual allowance or lifetime allowance concerns. Ah, lovely. So someone who is already putting 40,000 into their pension or because of their NHS pension might be over that, you know, uh, any doctors having a sneaky listen <laughs> might know that as well. Um, you know, so someone who's already maxing out their pensions or someone who's through investment growth and diligent savings getting up towards that 
and uh, lifetime allowance of 1.1 whatever it is these days million right in which case we go i'm already doing everything i can on maximizing tax relief on putting into pensions i still want to put money away for retired me <laughs> and then a lifetime isa could fit that that bill because you will get that that tax relief and your your contract with your future self is this is for 60 plus year old me very nice here's something that just popped into my head for anybody who has got this far in the podcast i know what it's like to listen to a podcast your mind starts to wander a little bit okay you're in the shower you're driving home you're in the gym you're doing a rep listen the hell up to this part right now because this will be very valuable John, is there any disadvantage to just opening a LISA, sticking a quid in it before you're 40 and just keeping it ticking along? Uh, not that I can think of. And I've done this with a couple of clients. Um, you know, the, one of the things with the lifetime LISA is you have to open it before you're 40. And if you get to age 40 in one day, you're not allowed to open one up. But you don't have to contribute every year. So, yes. You could well, if you want to, if you've got FOMO, if you're a pre a reaching <laughs> your birthday, open up a lifetime ISA. You could even open up a cash lifetime ISA if you're, you know, maybe a bit risk averse or you don't like making decisions under pressure. And get get one opened. You can transfer them. You can you can uh, top it up in future years, and at least you have the option. That choice is still on the table for you. Um, when in your planning through your 40s and 50s in terms of contributions. That's a nice hack right there, you know, and there's actually a few other ISA hacks like that. And we should probably do a podcast on that someday, a, a summary of ISA hacks, the things that you need to know about your ISA to get the max out of it, ISA hacks. There we go, I just made like that. that. Like that flexible ISA hack from earlier. Exactly. Yeah, this is it. This is it. And there's also that thing uh, where it's like if you're between 16 and 18, you can have a junior ISA and a and a cash ISA at the same time. So you can actually receive £29,000 in total into your own name. I'm right in saying that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it's that that's great if you're thinking about your own children and you trust them not to go and blow that money <laughs> when they turn 18. Yeah. Uh, cool. <laughs> yeah. Listen, that was a flipping awesome podcast, John. Thank you so much for your time. For anybody who's listening, John Doyle on the group, Juniper Wealth. John, can you give us a little bit more information about where to find you? Uh, yeah, you can find me, Juniper underscore John, uh, on Instagram and Twitter. You can find me on LinkedIn as well uh, and at juniperwealth.co.uk. Or you can just DM me on, on Facebook. I'm all over the group trying <laughs> to add value and it'd be helpful where I can probably trying to add too much nuance to Facebook comments. <laughs> no, <laughs> you, know, you know something really funny. My 15 year old knows when I'm commenting on the Facebook group because she laughs at my face and the, the kind of almost like I'm playing a conversation in my <laughs> face. Uh, <laughs> what are you doing? Well, there we go. That that's fine. I recognize that pure concentration and it's probably testament to the amount of thought you're putting in to the value that you give on there. So thank you, John. We owe you uh, it's a pleasure. Much love, my man. John, blinding podcast today. Always a pleasure to have you. We'll catch up very soon. I'll see, see you later. Time. See you soon. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, please hit follow or subscribe so you can stay up to date with information on new podcasts which are released weekly. Please also feel free to leave a positive review so others can learn about this podcast and benefit from it. I would also encourage any fans of the podcast to sign up to the free Facebook community from which the podcast originated. Please search Dentists Who Invest on Facebook and hit join to become part of a community of thousands of other dentists interested in improving their finances, well-being and investing knowledge. Looking forward to seeing you on there.